Our scripture this morning is from Matthew 16, verses 24 to 28, and you can also find this passage on page 822 of your church Bible. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning to all of you here in the sanctuary, to those of you in the fellowship hall, to those of you in Fairfax. My name is David, and I serve as the executive pastor. And it's been a few months since I've preached, so I'm both excited and nervous. And so let's pray before we go to work together. Our Heavenly Father, this passage tells us that the disciples didn't taste death until they had seen the transfiguration of Jesus. And so we too want to see Jesus before we taste death. Help us to do that now through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, if you're just joining us this fall, we've been in a sermon series together called Questions from the King, and we've been looking at at various questions that King Jesus ask us in the Gospels. And today, we're considering perhaps one of the most important questions that we could consider. What will it profit a man to gain the whole world but to forfeit his soul? And how I want us to do that today is to ask three questions of our own. want to ask, what is the question? What does it mean? Who is the one asking us the question? And how can this question change us? So look down at your text And let's consider what is the question. Well, obviously, pastor, you say, it's verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Jesus is making several statements by asking this question. Number one, Jesus is making this statement. Every person has a soul. Every person has in this room and in this world and on this planet has a soul. The human being is comprised of both dust and breath, body and soul, physical and spiritual, seen and unseen. What is the soul? The soul is the inner life breathed in us by God that thirsts for and is capable of knowledge and enjoyment of God for all of eternity. Every one of us in this room has a soul. But the second statement that Jesus is making in his question is this, that our soul may be forfeited. Our soul may be lost. And the condition of our soul is based on one thing. It is based on our relationship with the Lord. And a forfeited soul is one that has lost connection with God, and a saved soul 
is one that is in relationship with God. The soul may be forfeited. Now, the third statement that Jesus is making in his question is this, that there is no greater loss than the loss of your soul. You know, from a com- commercial perspective, Jesus says to lose your soul is to lose everything. And any temporal gain is poor compensation for our soul. Leo Tolstoy, say Tolstoy fast 10 times. See how that goes for you. It's like trying to say Toy Story 10 times really fast. Go home and do it this afternoon. You can't do it. Leo Tolstoy once wrote a story that illustrates this question so well. He wrote a story about a successful peasant farmer who was not satisfied with his lot. He wanted more and more of everything. And so one day he received a novel offer for 1,000 rubles. He could buy all the land. He could walk around in one day. Now there was only one catch. He had to be back at his starting point by sundown. So early the next morning, this peasant farmer started out walking at a fast pace. By midday, he was tired, but he kept going, covering more and more ground. Well into the afternoon, he realized that his greed had taken him far from the starting point. So he quickened his pace as the sun began to sink low in the sky. He began to run, knowing that if he did not make it back by sundown, the opportunity to become an even bigger landholder would be lost. So as the sun began to sink below the horizon, he came within sight of the finish line, gasping for breath, his heart pounding. He called upon every bit of strength left in his body, and he staggered across the finish line just before the sun disappeared. He immediately collapsed, blood pouring from his mouth, and in a few minutes, he was dead. Afterwards, his servants dug a grave. It was not much over six feet long and three feet wide. Now, the title of Tolstoy's story was, How Much Land Does a Man Require? How Much Land Does a Man Require? This is what Jesus is asking us. What advantage is there in gaining the most stuff, but at the cost of our soul? Do we work tirelessly for the best career, the best physical appearance, the best homes and the best vacations and the best Instagram stories without giving any thought or energy to our relationship with Jesus and the condition of our soul? Have you faced the question about the immortality of our souls and its condition? Jesus' question tells us this, that every person has a soul, our souls may be forfeited, and there's no greater loss and the loss of a soul. So that's the first question. What is the question? But second, we want to consider who is asking the question because the only one who can satisfy our souls is the one who asks the question. This passage tells us about the person and the work of the questioner, Jesus. Who is this person? Look down at verse 26 in the beginning of it says, the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father. Son of Man. 
Now, if you flip back in Matthew 16 and you look at verse 13, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And the disciples offer the very best things that the people are saying about Jesus, and they know all the prophecies about the Son of Man from Daniel and Psalm 2, the one who will to come. And so they say, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, and and some say that you're you're one of the prophets. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, but who do y'all say that I am? (laughs) And Peter makes that immortal statement that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you but my Father in heaven, who is the one asking the question, it is the Son of God. Jesus accepted this identity. So we know who is asking the question, but we also know something about what this person did. We can consider his work. In verse 26, at the end of it, Jesus adds on this second question. He says, or what shall a man give in return for his soul. Jesus is saying, what would you give for your soul? Because I know what my Father in heaven has given for your soul. What is it? It, It's earlier in chapter 16 as well, in verse 21, when Jesus tells his disciples why he came to the earth. What was his mission? What did Jesus come to do? He says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus accepted his purpose as the suffering servant. We learn so much about the person and the work of the one who is asking us this question. And friends, this is the good news. This is the gospel. This is what we commonly refer to as grace around here, that Jesus came to the earth to pay a ransom for our souls, not with gold, not with silver, but bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that when Jesus returns, we might stand in the presence of God and we will have no fear of judgment. And in that moment, we will experience being fully known and fully loved. That is the one who is asking this question. It is the Son of God who went to the cross that you and I might have life that by grace, through faith in Christ, we have been redeemed from sin, we have been restored from death, and we have been rescued from slavery. That's the gospel. That's the person and the work of Christ. Who asked this question? It's Jesus, the lover of our souls, who values us beyond his own life and offers us his life in return. And friends, that takes us to the third question. If we understand the person and work of Christ, it will change us both now and for all of eternity. How does this question change us? Well, Jesus tells us how it should change us in verse 24. He says, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So much we could say about this verse, but here's the the summary. 
What does self-denial mean? Well, that's not a popular notion, and it's commonly misunderstood. It does not mean, self-denial does not mean that we deny our God-created pleasures and personalities. It does mean that we deny our self-pity, our self-absorption, and our self-service. Self-denial is an invitation to be who we are meant to be, free from sin. Now, what does cross-bearing mean? It does not mean achieving our own salvation. Jesus already did that. He died on the cross for us. It does mean that in our lives, we say, Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. And sometimes cross-bearing may mean persecution or suffering when you are following King Jesus. It may mean that you might not get a promotion because you refuse to compromise on your biblical morals. Or it may mean that you get ridiculed at school because you follow God's sexual ethic. That's what cross-bearing means. And what about Jesus following? What does that mean? It means this. It means that we are no longer content to be a slave to sin, but that we will strive and wrestle and fight for joyful obedience in our life. It means that we can love and live for Jesus because Jesus loved and lived for us. And now the person that we were created to love and live for is the one that we love and that we live for. You see, the sermon in the sentence is this. If Jesus is worth anything, then he's worth everything. If Jesus is worth anything, then he's worth everything. Self-denying, cross-bearing, Jesus-following is to be the pattern for every disciple, ranging from the grand to the granular. Now, let me give you two examples of this. One grand. On January 3rd, 1956, after years of planning, preparing, and praying, a man by the name of Jim Elliott and four other missionaries landed on a small strip of land in the jungles of Ecuador to share their gospel, to share the gospel and their lives with an unreached people group who were notoriously violent. They knew the dangers, they had considered them, and on January 8th, they were due to make contact and then they were to radio back in at 4.30 later that day. Well, 4.30 came, and there was silence. And so when no message came, a plane was sent, and a rescue party was sent as well. Four of their bodies were recovered, all lanced to death. The fifth was never found. All five missionaries were martyred for the sake of Christ. All were married, and four were fathers. Jim Elliott is famous for writing this in his diary before he left. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. A grand answer to the question asked by Jesus. But let me give you a granular example as well. On February 15, 1944, a small group of believers started meeting together in Georgetown in what would later become this Capitol Press family. This first group of members included a young girl named Judy Niemeyer, who you saw in your flock notes. 
She was a part of this church, a founding member for over 75 years until she went to be with the Lord on November 13th, 2019 at the age of 101. And Judy once gave her testimony in this pulpit and talked about all that God did simply through serving in the nursery, landscaping the grounds, and eating lunch together. (laughs) She said, How great is our Lord who has blessed and guided our church through all the years. What a blessing MPC has been in my life, providing so many things, instruction in the word, friendship with fellow believers, spiritual challenges, and opportunities to use my gifts to advance God's kingdom. Friends, you can either live for the king and his kingdom, or you can live for the self and the world. Jim and Judy answered the king, and they lived for his kingdom. Have you and I answered the king, and are we living for his kingdom? Do we approach our lives with an eternal perspective? Do you realize that when you serve in the nursery, you are growing his kingdom? When you grieve with a friend, you are ministering for his kingdom. When you cling to the glory of God, you are serving his kingdom. When you share the gospel, you are working for his kingdom. From the granular to the grand, both exceptional, we can live with eternal perspective for the good of the next generation like Jim Elliott and Judy Niemeyer did. Let's pray and work to that end as a church family. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you ask us questions, that you provoke us to think and consider about the things that matter most. And so, Father, I pray that we would live in light of your truth every single moment of every single day for all of our lives so that we might enjoy you for all of eternity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.